politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew for life, liberty, property, culture, and all of it. A hundred times greater than it was in 1776. (laughs) This is not a 1776 moment. This is an August 10th, 2023 moment, which is greater than anything this side of the pond has dealt with. So what are we going to do about it? We got a special show today. Great guests coming up. As always, give us a five-star rating on iTunes uh, if you believe we deserve it, which I know a lot of you do, and I'm thankful for that and your support. But there is something very important I have to get out before our guest today, but it ties into our guest, heroes. What makes a hero in this era? The heroes we need, the heroes we don't have, but we need to strive for. There is one common denominator in terms of the ingredients that went into the success of the first revolution when understanding what we ultimately need today. And that is a two-letter word, not a four-letter, but a two-letter word. No, N-O, the ability to say no. You know, we, we could talk about a lot about, okay, what's your legislative strategy, your executive branch strategy, your judicial strategy, and we're going to actually talk about a lot of that today, litigation, where things are with, with uh, religious freedom, the homosexual agenda, the tranny stuff, the fight for marriage, which actually might get a new breath of life, the f- fight for uh, bodily autonomy. We're going to have Matt Staver from L- Liberty Council coming up. We talk about your electoral strategy. And all of that ties in. But Its success or failure hinges on a mentality in the people themselves. Again, there's three branches of government. There's elections. And the people ultimately have some direct or indirect say in all of that or ability to pressure. But ultimately, there has to be a spirit of no. This is immoral. This is not right. It's illegal, immoral, inhumane. It ain't happening. Whatever that is. The tranny stuff, no. The open border stuff, no. The jailbreak of criminals, but then we don't have the right to self-defense, no. Biomedical security state, no. Among ourselves. Now, look, I might be thrown in jail, so I might not be willing to take that risk to a certain level, but at least among Me, my family, my neighbors, my friends, and then my community, we resolve to come together, iron sharpens iron, and commit to the best of our ability that's practically possible, not even the level of our founders, to pledge our lives, which is we will do everything to gum up the works and delegitimize any illegitimate act of government that that obviously is not in concert with the laws of the nation, laws of nature, and nature's God. It, it is that spirit that we are lacking. Okay, when we talk about, oh, we didn't win the primary. Well, why didn't we win the primary? In Mississippi, in this red state, 
this legislative session. They just keep doing what they're doing. You have during COVID, 80-20 red counties where people were enforcing masking on each other. In all these cases, did someone have a gun to your head? You know, if you were in the Capitol on January 6th, didn't do anything, and they grab you and throw you in jail for 20 months. So, yeah, I get it. There's nothing you can do. Now that we're in the Fourth Reich, they grab you and they have the power. But a lot of this other stuff, did they force you to vote for the rhino? Did they force you to ignore all the stupid things Trump did and excuse it and not speak out against it, not try to get an alternative? Did they force you to ignore the legislative session? Did they force you within their own culture to sit by idly when your Red County library pushes the porn on everyone? Did they force you with a gun against your head to wear a mask? No. And the bottom line is, we just go along with things like a bunch of idiots. And I'm leading up to a very important endeavor that Steve Dace and I are working on that ties into this. But I want to preface with Ecclesiastes 3.19. For there is a happening for the children of men, and there is a happening for the beasts. And they have one happening, like the death of the one, is the death of the other. And all have one spirit, and the superiority of men over beast is not. So obviously on a basic level, what it means is that there is no difference between men and animal in the sense that you're all going to go into the dirt and become dust, and your body is going to decompose. You're born against your will. You die against your will. So you may as well make the best of it, fear God, and do the right thing. You know, it's kind of the point. Um... You know, don't pleasure yourself like an animal because you'll wind up that way anyway. You may as well accumulate good deeds, do good things in the world, and accumulate bony uh, brownie points for uh, the world that ultimately matters in the next world. And that's obviously the basic theme of Ecclesiastes. But there is an old Jewish sort of joking way of pulling out the exegesis of this verse that might not be the exact meaning of the verse, but it's very true. And it's basically, a, it's a play on the Hebrew word ayin, that the, the superiority of a man over a beast is ayin. It is not, nothing, no. So homiletically, it's read as, and the difference between man and beast is the ability of a man to say no. An animal gets prodded and can't say no. A human being can say no. Now, there are times where you're forced by the butt of a rifle, but A, it never changes what's in your heart. And if even at that moment, you're not, you don't have the leverage to say no, but you could resolve to at the first opportunity you have to utilize it, which we never do. And most of the time, you could say no. And that gets me to our project, FourthReichBook.com. So Steve Dace and I wrote Rise of the Fourth Reich, Confronting COVID Fascism with a New Nuremberg Trial. So many of you were generous enough, unbelievably, to buy the book, buy multiple copies, and we're very thankful for that. But the book was never about us making money like it is with most of our colleagues. It was a call to action 
that we cannot allow this to happen again. There needs to be a reckoning. And it's not just COVID. Like we said, it's a recognition of all these issues that we have a government that is purposely malignant, malfeasant, and trying to kill us on multiple fronts. Could be economy. It could be the two-tier justice system. They're trying to replace us. And we need to fight back in the ways we can right now and not just ignore it and its lessons like it never occurred. We're always complaining. Why don't people stand up? Why don't people say no? We're always complaining. And it's a valid complaint because the way this, in a country this large, and we don't yet have North Korea level police state, although we're getting there. The only way you could implement this stuff is if everyone promotes it upon each other. Every field, every industry, everyone had to do the mask mandate. There was no cop stationed at each corner. We enforced it upon each other. And if more people in pivotal positions would say no, and you have a domino effect, this would grind to a halt. A lot, a lot of these issues, it's a greater deterrent than any win this election, take control of this legislative body, pass this piece of legislation. That's ultimately the heart and soul of it. And then you have that, and certainly you could, you know, build momentum for all of the aforementioned political tools. Why are there so few people who say no? The reason is very simple. Because most of those people, they get mowed down. It doesn't build a momentum. We don't champion them. We hang them out to dry. Their lives get destroyed. We might write an article, look how bad it is. This person lost their livelihood due to COVID, and then nothing ever happened. And their sacrifice was for naught. It went nowhere. And then the few, then there's a small minority that just become grifters. Like, they earn a living off of being that hero, and they were right, you know, had just righteous motivations at the at the beginning but then it just becomes an industry like like and they then they just get a show and they become part of the conservative industry and they're like everyone else and we don't change anything steve and i are at fourthreichbook.com we're repat it's the same book but it will be a vintage legacy copy with signed signatures from both of us steve and myself and it's a little bit marked up. So rather than like, you know, $25, $40, not 50%, not 60, 70, 80, but 100% of the proceeds will go to one of our witnesses, Dr. Sam Sigloff, in the book. And then another one who's not in the book, but he came on the show and I'm going to have him back soon, Lieutenant Mark Bashaw. These are two people that sacrificed who had their military career destroyed and now their civilian life is destroyed and they're bankrupt. Because they said no. They stood up in the military, the hardest place to really say no. They stood up to the morality and legality of EUA vaccine mandates and mass mandates. And now they're suffering. And we want to fund legal defense funds for them to go and, and get discovery in very critical cases, because this is a critical juncture that the military could do this to a person and also to get discovery in all of all of the cases that will bring the truth to bear about the vaccine and different things about what our government and military did with the biomedical security state. But most importantly, it is to stand for 
people that stand for us. So again, we will not make a penny. You know, we, we could continue promoting the book on Amazon or Barnes & Noble so we get the profits, but instead we're, we have signed copies and then that will go towards them. Now, to be clear, obviously, Post Hill Press, the publisher, we can't, you know, do things for free on their behalf, so they'll make whatever they make, but it's the author's cut. 100% will go to um, Bashan Sigloff. I want to just talk a little bit about that before we get to our interview. The show is sponsored by iTarget Pro. Um, with inflation through the roof, obviously ammo, it's not quite what it was at the beginning of COVID, but it's still not back to pre-COVID prices. Very expensive. Um, you've heard me talk a lot about the need to properly train your muscle memory to use um, a gun properly. You don't always have the time and money to go out to the range and practice with live ammo. iTarget Pro is, you know, there's, there's a lot of these companies, but this is the one I recommend that they have dry fire practice, but it makes it fun and realistic with a dummy bullet, you uh, aim it on a target, or they have iTarget Cube, where you could station several cubes throughout your house. You could buy a few packets of it, and you could practice clearing drills. You could time it, so it will render the accurate accuracy. Did you get the shot? How much time? My my son actually used it for the first time, and now he's bothering me every day. He wants to use it, my 13-year-old. Um, right now, you could save 10% plus free shipping with the letter I, targetpro.com. Um, when you when you get that free shipping 10%, you're pretty much up to the point where you will make back the cost of one day's training at the range, firing a few hundred rounds down range. You'll make it back, and you could use it indefinitely. So very good deal. It comes in all calibers. Just make sure you get the right one for the gun or guns you want to use, or 223 for uh, you know your AR or whatever, your, your long arm. Again, that's the letter I, targetpro.com, itargetpro.com, offer code CR. Make sure to put an offer code CR for the 10% off and free shipping. So again, just to review, Sam Sigaloff, he was an army doctor, he's a captain. Um, and, and it's true of Sam, it's true of Mark. They could have saved themselves. They were in positions they could have gotten away without getting the um, vaccine mandate. And, and, and you know, because especially because they wanted to quiet them down. But they took a stand for other people. It's very important. A lot of people, like, they, they lost their job and heroic. I, I don't want to get it. And they lost it. They took a stand for other people. So he was a doctor. He, you know, we, we have him in the book, his story in the book. And he's now leaving. He left the military. He wasn't kicked out. But here's what they did to him. They opened an investigation because they, they overturned his medical exemptions that he issued. And it wasn't even just the fact that he was giving informed consent that, you know, everything wrong with the vaccine, but just the traditional anaphylaxic, just the fact that there are people that are directly allergic to the ingredients. And they overturned his medical exemption. Again, th th that, that's not a matter of like, oh, just following orders. That is genocide. So he stood behind other people. It wasn't just himself. Now, because of that, he can, see, the military is a double-edged sword. If you get honorably discharged, you're like, oh, I'm a veteran and this and that. You could build your career off of different skills you did in the military, in this case, medicine. But if the military is like, uh, you did bad stuff as a doctor, you, he cannot get a medical license in Arizona where he's stationed based on that. 
So he's going to sue them for damages for destroying his ability to be a doctor. And um, again, he has sacrificed so much. Mark Bashaw is the other one. He's not a doctor, but he was in the public health corps, um, public health division of the military. His job was, as a public health official, to watch out for any public health threat and monitor it to the military. Well, gee, when everyone is dropping dead and 20-year-olds are getting cancers, myocarditis, and strokes and blood clots and pulmonary emboli, well, he raised concerns. And he pointed out the DMED data, their own internal data showing an increase in all this stuff. He refused to comply with the mandates, the, the mask mandates as well. And by the way, mask mandates are a pharmacy, are, are a medical intervention, a medical device that is EUA. It is emergency use. It has never been approved to this day. And he pointed out legally... He, he faced a um, court-martial for saying no, and ultimately he has been discharged dishonorably from the military. His career is destroyed. 17 and a half years. He said no. He said no. Are we going to have his back? And again, it's not even just about the biomedical security state. But, but this is the problem. Like These people, they don't have a show. And again, I'm not criticizing anyone in particular, but there are a lot of people that took a stand on COVID, certain doctors or whatever, and they're doing very well now. You know, if anything, it turbocharged their career. Now they have a big Substack or whatever. And, and it, as long as they're putting out truthful, useful information, I have no problem with them making money. I'm not criticizing that. But I'm just saying this: there is this allure to many people do become part of the general conservative industry, and it's just kind of an industry. And you, you don't have this motivation to change things. You're just trying to sell your product. But these people like Sam and Mark, they get left behind. And we have to have their back. So this is what we thought of. And what happened was, you know, I, I came to Steve and I said, um, and just to show, show the self selflessness of Steve, of Sam. So Steve, so Sam came to me and was like, you know, I really need help. Could you get me on some of these bigger shows so I could, you know, raise awareness of what, what I did and what happened to me? And I, I, I called Steve and we were talking and we were like, honestly, our industry sucks. They don't care. They've moved on from this. They don't care about these people. But Steve's like, let's do one better. And Steve thought of this idea of maybe we have signed copies of our book and give 100% of proceeds. And I'll be honest, even I was like for a fleeting second, I never voiced it to Steve. But but keep in mind, this is not like some of the others that have earned millions of dollars off their books, tens of millions of dollars off their you know TV radio shows over the years. They could afford to do charity, okay? Like, I, I, I kind of needed it. You know, I'm not going to lie. I'm very thankful you guys were amazing. So within our audiences, everyone bought the book. But outside of that, you know, we were shadow banned. No one would touch us in the conservative industry because Mitt the Trump, right? You know, warp speed and that type of thing. Among other things, just stupid and not focused on the right issues. Don't care. So, with, you know, with a few exceptions... So it's not like we earned millions of dollars off it. It was a nice extra supplemental chunk of change for one year, but you know, beyond that, it'll be dead. It won't sell anything beyond that. And it's not like we're gonna, you know, I, I could I could really use the money. And and by the way, I'm not complaining here. I'm thankful to God that and and the blaze that I have a place where I'm never censored. I'm not gonna get wealthy. 
as my kids get older, I got four of them. You know, my wife might have to go back to work. It's really cutting it close. But but we'll be fine, God willing. I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about people that are less fortunate than me and took a stand. So we didn't do 30%, 40, 50, 60%, 100%. We will not make another penny off those books. Um, It will all go to, to and then and then Sam was like, I'm so thankful. I don't know what to say, but could you share it with Mark? Mark wasn't in our book. He wasn't one of the, you know, one of the witnesses at our Nuremberg trial in the book. So great thing all around. Everyone really pitched in and um really, really a great effort. So like if you have a copy, maybe you buy our signed copy, the money will go there and you could give out the existing copy to you know other other people absolutely need to read the book give it to your state legislature if you haven't done that until now um people who need to read it so that is the ingredient to heroes now i want to talk about other heroes as well as other things going on in you know important litigation with our next guest so speaking of heroes people who refuse to comply with tyranny things that violate the law violate god's law People willing to say no, stand up to the system. And, you know, there's multiple ways of doing this. So our next guest is certainly an example of that, but also he represents so many people that have done this selflessly, whether it's COVID, whether it's standing up to the rainbow jihad, um, religious freedom, all of it. There, there are very few organizations, as you well know, that I think are worthy most people are just perpetuating their own institution without actually advancing a cause. But Matt Staver, the founder of Liberty Council, they have been everywhere when it comes to religious liberty, when it comes to fighting for uh, our values, states' rights with, with marriage and defending marriage and life and everything, but then also got involved with the COVID stuff as well. And there's one particular hero I want to start out with. And then, boys, there is just so much to get to today to update us on all this stuff. But we'll see how much we can get load, load up. Hey, Matt, it's been way too long. Thanks so much for joining us today at The Blaze. Well, thank you. It's always a good pleasure to be with you, and thanks for all you do. Well, you're always in the thick of the fight. So, um, you know, I, I reached out to you a while back, and I was thinking, I was watching a couple of different events, an amalgamation of different events. We had the Dobbs ruling that overturned Roe v. Wade, but not just Roe v. Wade, but at least the language of the ruling restored the standard for a fundamental right that we should all agree that it has to be deeply rooted in history and tradition. Well, my first thought is, well, there's nothing more antithetical to deeply rooted in history and tradition than the Obergefell decision mandating gay marriage on the states. You know, then in general, we see the polling is is moving back the other way on this issue to some extent, because I think a lot of the warnings that we, uh, the clarion calls we put out back then that were ignored came to fruition, and now people see the problems uh, when you upend natural law like that, what it's going to do to society. Um, and then you have, you know, some other cases percolating in the courts, and you have Congress basically taking Obergefell and putting it into law, mandating it on the states. And I was thinking hey, do we have an avenue to get rid of Obergefell or tee up a, a, a case where if those six justices were intellectually honest, they would rule 
you know, in concert with with what they said in Dobbs to overturn it. And then I heard, well, you guys are already on it. So could you explain, um, you know, how we have an opportunity to tee up an Obergefell challenge and, and the circumstances of the case? Well, it really goes back to Obergefell in 2015 when the Supreme Court issued this uh, incredible 5-4 ruling. And amazingly, Chief Justice John Roberts uh, was very critical of the majority opinion, didn't even call them majority, didn't call them judges or justices, called them five lawyers, and really was the most uh, sarcastic, visceral, and frankly, substantive dissent I've ever read by any chief justice in American history against uh, the majority. And in this case, he was right. He said that they did not follow the Constitution. It was just their own will that they imposed on the people. Well, now we have, as a result of that, Kim Davis. So this was uh, 2015, and the first uh, target or victim of that would have been Kim Davis. And uh, Kim Davis was one that uh, came. they came after, the ACLU, uh, because she refused to put her name on a marriage certificate. Kim was sued. She ultimately, as we all know, went to prison for six days. She refused to sign her name and her title and her authority on a same-sex marriage. In fact, she stopped doing any marriages because what the Supreme Court did is shred the marriage laws of Kentucky. Uh, and she which, which were affirmed she, by the people with like 75% on a ballot? Yeah, in fact, not only do they have a state constitutional amendment, but everything that a clerk in Kentucky does is done only at the direction and authority of state statutes. And so if a clerk does something that is not authorized, the clerk can be punished. And there's even other kinds of criminal charges and other kinds of penalties for clerks not following what the statute says. Well, at the time, the statutes were shredded because the Supreme Court came up with this ridiculous opinion. So what is a clerk to do? So she stopped issuing all marriage licenses, not just same-sex, all marriage licenses until there was clarification. Which I think is very reasonable because if the court is going to tell us what is a marriage, meaning something that is included that never was, then, well, you have to tell me what's not a marriage. You know, what, is, what are right. the parameters? So it's no longer a man and a woman. So then what is it? Well, same sex. Well, okay, but then what about three or four or, you know, multiple different mixtures or, exactly. or relatives? You know, the right to love and dignity. You know, what, what, what sort of clauses did Kennedy have? Dignity, nobility, stigmatization. He put a bunch of new clauses in the Constitution in his opinion. Well, you know, that certainly applies um, – Polygamous marriages and incestuous marriages are certainly even more stigmatized, uh, so that should apply. So she was right there. She was right. And and in fact, even if the court has the authority to strike down a statute, it doesn't have the authority to write a brand new one to show how it should be put into practice. So even if they had the right to strike down the marriage statutes, which I think was clearly unconstitutional to do so, but even if they had the right, that means that there's no more statute. The legislature had to come back and act in order for this thing to move forward. and But in addition to that, she also claimed for a religious freedom exemption. Now, we ended up uh, winning on the ultimate issue there because later that year, uh, the governor was elected, 
and Matt Bevins, and then he gave her a religious accommodation in December of 2015, and then in April of 2016, the legislature, Democrats and Republicans, unanimously came together, and they passed a law that protects conscience objectors and religious objectors to issuing same-sex marriage licenses, like Kim Davis. So that is now the law of Kentucky. Now, fast forward, the case is still going on. Why? Because the ACLU wants Kim Davis to pay personally for that little bit of time that they didn't get their so-called same-sex marriage license. So the case is still ongoing, and uh, we will ultimately take this case uh, when it is ready in the near future back to the U.S. Supreme Court. It's already been there once, and a couple of justices at the time, they said it was on the sovereign immunity issue, but we're now going to go back up on the religious freedom issue, and they said this is an issue that needs to be addressed, and they're the ones, the Supreme Court, the ones that caused the problem in the first place, and they need to remedy it. So we already have justices ready to do something, and frankly, uh, the justices that were on the bench, Ginsburg, for example, and Kennedy, uh, Breyer, they were on that 5-4 opinion in 2015. They're not there anymore, so they've been replaced. So they no longer have the majority. So here we have a new Supreme Court, completely different than it was in 2015. We also have justices that say, we need to remedy this, and that's very pro-religious freedom. And then the other thing that we have is this. Last year, Congress, uh, we opposed it, but Congress passed the so-called Respect for Marriage Act. Now, that did not give a federal right to same-sex marriage. Essentially what it does is it grandfathers in anybody who has a so-called same-sex marriage if it were later overturned. So anybody who has a marriage law now, a marriage license now, between two people of the same sex, if the Supreme Court were to change and reverse a Burgerfell, their marriage licenses under the Respect for Marriage Act would still remain effective. But that would also mean that there would be no more mandate from the Supreme Court, so we'd be in a Roe versus Wade kind of situation, post-Roe, post-Dobbs, where the Supreme Court says it's not a constitutional issue, it's up to the states. So you'd have many states going back to the way they were, like Kentucky, for example, and their statutes are still in effect. The state constitutions have not been changed, so they're still in effect. So those laws on marriage between a man and one, uh, one woman would go back into effect. Those states would not have any more same-sex marriages. Now, you might have a few states, like perhaps California and New York, that might go the other way. And they might uh, like what they're trying to do with abortion. They might try to pass something that grants same-sex marriage. But what would happen is the majority of country would go back to the way it was before 2015. The biggest hurdle to overturning a Burgerfell was not attacking a Burgerfell based upon the substance and constitutional arguments. That's easy because on just like Roe, it has no constitutional sure. basis. That's the easy argument. The harder part to overturn a Burgerfell was the quote, detrimental reliance. So what do you do? Now you overturn it. You guys made the mess. It was wrong. Let's go back to the Constitution. Let's overturn it. Oh, now what do we do with these people that have same-sex marriage licenses? Mm. So some of the people on the court could say, well, we don't want to overturn it, even though it was wrong, because we're going to make a bigger mess. Well, no. If they overturn it now, with the Respect for Marriage Act now passed last year, that means all those people who have received one already— they're going to be grandfathered in under the Respect for Marriage Act. But the states now can go back to the way they were before. So, 
That's right, prospectively. So, so, so what they have done that, is they've shot themselves in the foot. So, so you're saying, obviously, I mean, I worked very hard to fight that, and it was shocking and appalling how many of these disgusting red state Republican senators voted along with it. But you're, but but what your organization's doing now is saying, all right, okay, but guys, you want to codify it, you know, at the federal level, but now you're going to have a problem that if, you, you know, that now that you're trying to say, oh, you know, we're going to recognize the ones that are there which is a you know it's a sunk cost fine but prospectively and i think just politically also i mean we would all agree this whole thing is an abomination on so many levels but again you got to look practically politically where you are in the country what you have the ability to do i'll take that result any day of the week if we could prospectively stop it but the problem is so but but now don't you have the fact that you have to not just overturn obergefell but you have to overturn that federal law well, all we have to do at this point in time is overturn a Burgerfell. Uh, now that we overturn a Burgerfell, the states are free to go back, and they will go back automatically to where they were before 2015, before June of 2015. Why will they go back? Because I don't know of any state that has passed a Defense of Marriage Act by statute or that has it in its state constitution that has repealed it since 2015. So those laws are still on the books, and they're still in effect. They're just being held in limbo. Now when the impediment of the Supreme Court decision gets overturned, they immediately go back into effect. Those are still on the books. They're still in the constitution. So prospectively, then, there's no more same-sex marriages. Say, for example, in Florida, we drafted uh, the marriage amendment. I argued it to get it on the ballot. We passed it uh, in the state of Florida. Florida would go right back to the way it was uh, before the Obergefell decision. The only thing that the Respect for Marriage Act will do is not codify it. It's not going to be able to require the states to sanction same-sex marriage. That would be a violation right there. Uh, And the Supreme Court's already indicated that would be a violation for the federal government to declare marriage for all the states, because that's a state's issue. And they already have had that decision before. The only thing the Respect for Marriage Act... Right, in the Windsor decision. So the only thing that the Respect for Marriage Act would do is take away the political argument that, wait a minute, if we do this, look at all the parade of horribles, what are we going to do with all these people that have relied upon it, wills, trust, estates, children, blah, 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 and all this other stuff, joint ownership, taxes... You don't have to worry about that. The political hard issue to overcome, well, all those people can just go on the way they were, but nobody else, because prospectively going forward, no more same-sex marriage. Yeah, and, and That's by the how way, I just want to clarify what that means. You know, nobody is telling you what to do. You can do whatever you want, have, uh, you know, fill up your house with as many people and, and do your thing, and it was always like that. This is a similar – you want to change the definition of something right. that is unalterable. And now we're seeing it's not – that's just a, not just a private thing because now what happens is that becomes codified as a right. It becomes codified in education. It becomes that we're teaching children that it's a 50-50 proposition. You could do this. You could do that. And then the next step, you could be a man. You could be a woman. And then suddenly, lo and behold, we have a new generation of kids that – Believe that. Like, oh, yeah, that's totally natural. That is what needs to stop. This is no longer just a piece of paper. I think we see that's what happens when you groom a society. You know, I think people didn't care. See, part of the problem was it was like, oh, they're so marginalized. It's just a small thing. But now, yeah, everyone says they're that because 
it, it, right. it wasn't natural. So that's important. It's also important, before we go on, I just want to tie back to our first part of the show, why it's so important, even if you think at the time you're losing, for someone to stand up. And Kim Davis, just like the people that stood up in the military against the COVID Look, you might not win at that moment, but it will sow a seed that you can never give up on an issue. And I keep saying that. I talked a little bit yesterday with the abortion thing. We're losing in a lot of places. I think we need a better strategy. But you don't chuck the issue. You strive for a better day. We thought this was over with. I think we could strive for a better day when not only do we reverse the new tranny madness, but but go back, reclaim lost ground. But, Matt, now I know your your job is the court. But I'm, I am going to ask you politically, Don't if this is our goal, don't we need to make sure we don't make the mistake we did with Dobbs that the dog catches the car and we're not – we don't prepare properly on the ground politically to reap the benefits of that and build the case properly legislatively so we don't have a blitzkrieg from the left and lose even in red states, which we're losing, meaning I could hear they're like, all right, you're right, Daniel. It's wrong for the government to mandate it. There's no constitutional right. But in the legislatures, we're going to vote. And my concern is if we don't build a movement, you know, they're going to have support to do this in an awful lot of states. No, I agree. You have to do both. Well, obviously, uh, we're working on the judicial side, but we're also working on the political side, too. And we have to really have that political support and that educational foundation so that people understand exactly what you just articulated, why it's important. It's not just a piece of paper. It is the redefinition of something that is immutable, part of our natural law, part of our natural observable um, existence. Marriage is the union of a man and woman. I mean, you don't need religion, geography, political parties. You don't need uh, states to say what it is. It is what it is. It's just like gravity. It is what it is. And obviously it's affirmed by our faith and it's affirmed by our scriptures, but it's also part of the natural observation. So when you change that definition... What you do is you essentially say in a very gender-based relationship that is essential for humans uh, to exist and to raise families that are strong communities, you have just simply said that gender doesn't matter. And when you do that and you say, well, it's two men or two women, then where is the dividing line? It could be three men and one woman or five women and two men, you know, whatever it is. You could have group marriage. And then what that does is it moves to the whole and the LGBT and the Q of that uh, anachronym uh, where you have the abolition of gender. I think one of the things that's helping politically, I think there's two things. Number one, the Respect for Marriage Act, as much as I oppose to it, I think that really takes away the sure. political argument, big argument, because you'll have all these uh, parade of horribles and people coming on TV and radio and media saying, oh, well, we're going to lose this and that. Well, all that all that's off the table. But the other thing I think that's helping politically is this radicalization of the so-called transgender yes. agenda. And I think people are beginning to see that no matter where they are politically or religiously, and they're saying, this is just crazy. This is nuts. Boys and men competing in girls and women's sports, uh, going into locker rooms, undressing in front of them. Uh, others' stories coming forward like Chloe Cole, uh, the lawsuit against uh, Kaiser Parmiente for these kinds of mutilating surgeries that are being done on children, those kinds of things. I mean, even the Travistock Clinic in London, 
that was one of the international leaders on these uh, mutilating surgeries to lop off, you know, healthy body parts. Because of complaints and problems that they're receiving from people that they treated and others, uh, they're shutting it down. So yep. I think what we're seeing here is something that's actually helping us politically. What you and I talked about was coming. We see it now. Other yes. people didn't see it. But now they're common person who doesn't, you know, immerse themselves in this issue every day. They're seeing it and they're saying, this is crazy. And the, this is the result of a Bergefell and that kind of deconstruction of gender. Bingo. And, and that's such a profound point. I'm so glad you made that point, you know, politically as we talk about the legalities, because there, there's too often this impetuous reaction on people on our side to just toss something off the boat. Oh, I'm scared politically. Just toss it. Sometimes you might be living in a tough time and circumstance, but you never give up on that issue. You always got to right. be clear. This is wrong. You can't do this. People were in a clamor. Oh, my gosh, we're going to die. COVID, COVID. And they did the craziest things imaginable. But we always knew. We always knew that when that ebbs off, the truth will come out. And the longer it takes to get to the truth out, the longer you're going to have that you know, it's going to take to have that reconciliation. You got to lay the marker down, and one day it's going to grow. And that, and this is really why you know I pay tribute today to, to Kim Davis, along with our other heroes. We're talking about. Um, you mentioned something about the the politics of this, and I think what is so profound, and, and we have to really, really watch out here, is there are subversive elements in the so-called conservative industry, as my colleague Steve Days calls it that want to create a divider. Oh, the, the homosexual agenda is awesome. Oh, I'm a, I'm a gay marriage conservative. It's just like the extra tranny stuff that I don't like. They're inextricably linked because if you're going to say you are erasing gender when you're saying a man marries a man, and there's a, there's a further argument I want to get your take on that I feel people aren't making, and we didn't have it a decade ago because people didn't see it, which is... Back then, it was like life was normal. There was never a time you had kids growing up thinking it's literally like right-handed, left-handed. It's a 50-50 proposition. People knew there was a certain element throughout history that did certain things. So it was a question how much you tolerate it or not. You know, Do you believe in the Bible or not? You and I obviously believe in the Bible. But I'm going to give you a facially religious neutral argument. Totally secular. So you could say, look... I don't believe the Bible. Sodomy is awesome. It's great. There's no problems. There's no sin. Okay. But that's when it was a tiny minority. But what mm. happens now that Gallup tells us and Pew and all these polls, within a matter of a few years, you have, depending on how you splice it, Gen Z or high schoolers or different measures, 20 to 25% identify as something that let's just call it cannot or will not procreate. So you have now, at a time when everyone agrees, we have a huge replacement problem in Western civilization, you are taking 25%, and it's rapidly, every year, the younger you get, multiplying, you gotta look ahead, you know, because you throw in people 70, 80 years old are weighing down the people that don't identify as that, but they're not procreating anymore. The ones that are gonna be in the game of procreation, right, Matt? I mean, those people... It is, like, what happens if we get to the point 50% of the people think they're gay, think they're this, think they're that, a man, a woman, whatever it is, you're not procreating. 
And even if you're into gay adoption, which which is abhorrent in my view, to forcibly take a baby into that, but the baby had to come from somewhere. I mean, you didn't produce that. So like, you could think it's, you could have the most hyper-pagan view you want, but how could you say it's a good thing for 25 to 50% of society to so-called be gay? I mean, am I missing something here? Yeah. No, you're right. Uh, in fact, uh, you know, you're seeing this issue uh, happen around the country or, and around the world. And, uh, you know, when, when you look at this issue here, uh, for example, in uh, Maryland public schools, uh, Montgomery County, uh, they had uh, like it was 528%, I think it was, uh, increase in what they said is gender non-conforming students. Well, why is that in that particular school? Well, because of the propaganda. It's a very pro-LGBTQ propaganda. So you have this social construct that's happening. You also have, you know, a whistleblower that came out, I believe it was in Missouri, with regards to working. She called herself a, a lesbian, more more liberal uh, than uh, the most, you know, liberal Democratic uh, independent candidate or Democratic candidate uh, of, for president uh, uh, in the last uh, one or two go-rounds. Um, and so she's very far left. She went into this uh, organization to try to, quote, help kids, and she realized that they were being damaged, that they're just being pushed down this LGBTQ agenda. And she also said that there were people coming in, like girls coming in, uh, groups of them from the same school, that there was a social contagion that was happening. It wasn't biologic, uh, that there was a social contagion, kind of like the cool thing to do. We're just all going to do it together. We're going to go in. We're going to take our puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones, and they push them down this road. They make them sterile by doing so, and then they, you know, do the surgical removal of their breast or their other genitalia, and they're making them sterile. Uh, So they're not going to be able to reproduce or procreate and those are happening at an alarming number when you're talking about a 500 and some percent increase in montgomery county alone over a period of about three years that's staggering and that's the social contagion that's the propaganda look at what happens if you do this on a long-term basis uh it's catastrophic what we are doing and what some of these doctors are doing for example with regards to some of these surgeries and these drugs is no different than joseph mengelum using these kids and using others as human experiments with no definitive scientific data that shows positive outcomes, in fact, shows exactly the opposite. We're sterilizing an entire generation of people. No, and that's very well said because, again, I think, I I don't have the numbers in front of me, but um, CDC has the numbers, um, and this is, where is this, KTV? I'm just reading, I mean, there's many articles here. Um, over a quarter of U.S. high school students identify as one of those alphabet thingamajigs, yeah. um, and that's a 2021 CDC Youth Risk Behavior Surveillance System. And the thing is, it was 26 percent. I mean, maybe they're making that up, but I mean, this is CDC, and it's uh, 2021, and I'm trying to get the numbers here from – I want to say two, three, it doubled like in two to three years. It was, it was out of control and then tripled, you know, from, from earlier last decade. And I think in some ways, I, I, like I say, this is an ancillary gift from God that if we only stay by his word and fight for it and not back down, God, I've noticed in my time in politics, you 
get opportunities that you wouldn't have thought to reverse course, move back that Overton window. And again, ironically, they're victims of their own success. They're so successful because it was unnatural. They didn't have to fight and earn it because the Republican Party basically handed it to them on a silver platter. So they just ran with it like a bunch of hyenas. And what happened was they made our point so well. It's like, you know, because the big problem we always had was people had this emotional feeling like, it's like being born a certain way. And we always right. knew that was a crock, at least in the way they made it out to be. But now when you show people, oh, whoops, I guess the batch of God's uh, embryos born between 2005 and 2015, just 25% of them, you know, just they think they're the opposite yeah. gender. So this is really important. We're winning. But but I know you're we're out of time here. Um, one more thing I want to get from you is just a quick overview of on the transgender uh, legal cases. So once again, I'm getting PTSD from last decade. Same thing with the homosexual agenda that we're winning politically. It's unpopular. We're passing laws to preempt it with the, the castration and the drag shows. Those two in particular, one after another, the district courts, federal district courts, Florida, Tennessee, we're seeing all over the place are saying it's unconstitutional. Where do you where do you see that headed? Well, I think it's ultimately going to be going to the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, there is some good news, though. There are Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals, Federal Court of Appeals, uh, just ruled recently in a two-to-one decision on July the 8th regarding Tennessee and a two-to-one decision, same case, uh, on July the 31 uh, regarding Kentucky. And both of those states passed what's called the SAFE Act, and the SAFE Act is the Save Adolescents from Experimentation Act. They passed it earlier this year, and it was regarding this issue, uh, no puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, and mutilating surgeries. The ACLU filed suit against both on behalf of at least uh, 10 families. It went up to the Court of Appeals, and the Court of Appeals, um, the lower court issued an injunction Court of Appeals took that injunction away and allowed the law to go into effect, saying that there was no constitutional right to have this kind of medical mutilation. Uh, Judge Sutton wrote the majority opinion. So that's the first case in the country that's at the Court of Appeals level. So I know it's frustrating with these lower court judges that issue these injunctions, but uh, fortunately, this one uh, is the first one at the Court of Appeals, and it has now upheld those laws. So they're in effect now in Kentucky and Tennessee. But how much do you think that Gorsuch's stink bomb in, you know, his Bostock opinion where he basically codified it, it transgenderism into civil rights in terms of, you know, like employment um, that there is. So, for example, you have an employee that's very disruptive, comes in one day, dresses another, uh, you know, gender that you can't fire that person that's enshrined in the definition of sex discrimination Will that have a broader umbrella on some of this stuff, uh, you know, with the puberty blockers and things like that? Well, you know, that was really a surprise, very disappointing decision of Gorsuch. He's done a lot of good decisions, and that was a terrible one. I mean, that's the low point. Uh, uh, And I don't know how that will ultimately play out. However, I do know, for example, when you start bringing in this gender mutilation and uh, body mutilation, Um, And, you know, if you look at this, for example, uh, take a look at uh, something that's called apotemnophilia, apotemnophilia. It's uh, also called body integrity identity disorder. 
And the people that say that they have this, they say that they are a disabled person inhabiting an able person's body. So they think that they should not have a leg, a foot, an arm, a limb, an eye, or hearing. So they want to literally dismember themselves so that they can have their body match their mind. They make the same exact arguments that they have for these things here, that, well, I was just born in the wrong body. I need to have my body mutilated to match my mind. I mean, that's just absurd. It's a mental disorder. Nobody in their right mind would say, well, over here with this body integrity identity disorder or apotemnophilia, as it's also called, are we going to just amputate your leg uh, because you don't think you should have a leg? Your leg is healthy. There's nothing wrong with it. Uh, but now you move over here and you add the ideology with it with yep. regards to the LGBTQ. And it's, oh, yeah, let's just go ahead and take off your breast and take off your other genitals and put you on yeah. these hormones for the rest and, of your and life. And by the way, and to speak to your you. point, my three-year-old daughter just said in the bath the other night that she's a duck. And, you yeah. know, so if, if you had an entire movement to groom kids into, uh, you know, indulging that for, for real, then you'll, you're, you're going to start to see that. You're going to start to see it. You already start to see it now with these uh, so-called furries. Um, these are kids in school that want to pretend that they're a cat or a dog. And so they don't want to speak. They don't want to drink out of uh, anything except for a bowl. Um, they, you know, just, and, and some of these schools are allowing the kids to do this nonsense. This is a mental disorder. You can't treat it as though it's reality and force everyone to assume it is. So I think this is the Achilles heel to the same-sex marriage issue, yep. to this LGBTQ issue. When you start putting some of this information out there, and now you're starting to see more and more people that come out and say, look, I was deceived. I was like Chloe. She had her breast removed at age 15. What we're seeing, too, are these, these kids that are on the autism spectrum. And, and now we're seeing there's a study out one in five people in this one study was on the autism spectrum. And so instead of getting diagnosed for yes. their particular mental condition or autism or whatever it may be and getting proper treatment, they're being rushed into puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, and this irreversible yep. mutilating surgery. And I one think thing about that autism is, the is heel. their brains also tend to lock in obsessively right. to something that they're seeing. So it, it's, it's not just this. It's other things as well. So they're Correct. particularly vulnerable to to that sort of thing. Again, this is all unnatural. And, and, and I would just, to sew up what you're saying, it's it's so important to have people like Kim Davis, to have people, don't just be like, yeah, I don't have the political clout now, challenge it. You might not win then, but if you know the truth right. is on your side, you know that you are attempting to be on God's side, then God will usually bless your your endeavors in a way that you'd, you'd be shocked. And and again, like I, I, I'm sure you saw that gallop the support for gay marriage among Republicans, which has been had been mm. soaring, um, dropped 18 points in one year. 18, because this past year, I think we've really broken through, like you said, with all this right. absurdity and these legislative fights we've had in the states. It, 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 it unfortunately crossed over majority support until then, and now it reverted back to, you know, like 41 from like 58 or something. I mean, that's that's astounding, and that just tells me that you could always count on the left for overreach. The question is, are we going to stand by, stand our principles? You guys certainly do that. Where could people find out about what you do and keep up with your important work? Well, Daniel, they can go to Liberty Council's website, lc.org, just two letters, lc.org, lc.org. 
well, Matt, you got to come back soon. You, you you do too many things. I didn't even get to your COVID stuff. You're like all over the place. <laughs> so let's do another show on that. Thanks so much for your time and God bless you for your work. Thanks. God bless. Good to be with you. So folks, again, Matt Staver there from Liberty Council. What a what a blessing. I mean, he's one of the few people that have been doing this for decades and has never gone sour on us. But there's so many profound lessons in today's show. I wanted to juxtapose the Kim Davis stuff with the with the gay marriage to um, the people standing up to the COVID stuff that we this is what happens when you're all like relative to the left. Your Overton window is but the media, but the Democrats. You get moved along with whatever they do. But no, you stand your ground. This is what I believe. Now, politics is a game of prudence, and sometimes there are specific strategies at that time, at that moment. Like I, like I told you, you know, if you have ten existential issues, and there's seven that are winning issues, and three that maybe aren't at that moment, I'm not going to go pedal to the metal on those three as my lead messaging. But I'm not going to give up on them one inch, right? It's a different strategy. I said that with abortion yesterday. It's a similar thing here. Oh, Daniel, we can't turn the clock back on that. Oh. I don't know if that's true. Now, look, practically, and I brought this up with him, you want to make sure we don't have kind of what we're having post-Dobbs if you actually did overturn Obergefell that, you know, you don't have a plan. And I think right now it's like literally in all 50 states, there is no difference between a normal marriage and a fake marriage, okay, and a sodomy marriage. And, and again, that's not just a distinction on paper. That is in society you're embedding to children that this is 100%. It's not just like an accommodation for a handful of people. If you believe in that, you don't believe this is sinful. You don't believe there's anything harmful. Okay, whatever. We'll just, okay, you call it a marriage. No, that puts it on an equal playing field, which makes no sense from a secular standpoint, from, any, from a logical standpoint, and now you're seeing it. So, you know... Could you turn the clock back completely to, you know, pre-2000s? I don't know, and it might depend, be a staggering system on the states. But at least we'd be able to fight and say, hey, it's going to be a give and take. If we feel it's a state where, you know, it's a marginally red state, not a, like, like it's not Oklahoma and Mississippi, socially conservative-wise, you might say, all right, you'll have some sort of accommodation, but you have ironclad, 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 on no discrimination, on promotion of it in the schools, on, you know, uh, adoption and things like that, we need to start saying, wait a minute, you can't tell me that a kid, that a baby that can't choose, it's an equal proposition to be with a mother and a father versus two men. That's bullcrap. I mean, you don't, you don't have to be a Bible-thumping Christian or anything to, to understand that. That's ridiculous. So... The notion that we just throw away issues is stupid. COVID too. I mean, forget about the general, but even among Republican voters, you polled masking in May, June 2020, and even months after that, it was, it was popular. But it was, it was, again, popular, a lot of their things, it's a mile wide and an inch deep. It's superficially reflecting the one-sided sentiment that's put out. But just like a, a, crack, a door open a crack, the light illuminating a room that's 99% dark, but that 1% makes a huge difference, all the difference, and that you could see, you could walk around. It's the same thing here. You never, ever, ever create consensus around something wrong. Always be clear it's wrong. You might not be able to fully fight it at that moment in every way you want, but never give up. And in order to have that, you need people like 
Mark Bashaw and Sam Sigaloff for COVID. And you need people like Kim Davis to say, wait a minute, this is state law. You can't just tell me to do that. That's absurd. It's not a marriage. You know, you wanna you wanna go in and have sodomy together? No, no one's stopping you. No, no one ever stopped you. You want to spread monkeypox? No one ever stopped you. In fact, the government says it's all great. Just make sure you get your monkeypox shot. That incidentally will spread it even more. But, you know, no, no one's doing that. And I think part of the problem we had in previous decades as this agenda became popular, it was like it was viewed that we were the type of rigid anti-liberty people going around telling people what to do. And it was always a straw man. Because no one was installing cameras and going in your house and saying you can't commit all sorts of activities, right? No, no one was doing that. They were the ones trying to change things, right? When you're saying, I am going to change the, the most fixed definition of the building block of procreation and civ human civilization, that's not like mind your own business, you know, you're you're trying to take away marriage from like, no, we're not. You can get married like anyone else. Well, what do you mean? I don't want like that's bull. And again, I'm just, I'm just, not not to belabor this point because it's not the main point today, but like the notion that somehow people could be born in mass, where you know the same way uh, you have a typical person, let's say a man, you put a beautiful woman in front of them, they're very attracted. That individual is attracted to her, and you put a man, it's like, oh no, uh, horrible. Somehow you have people that it's like 180 degrees the opposite. Man, you take a man that's like that, and they're born like with a gene that you put the most beautiful woman, ill that's disgusting, and you put Michael Moore in front of that guy, and oh man, I can't control myself. That was always garbage. Just proclivities for certain things, that, and the more you induce it, and the more you indulge it, and whatever, and you see that now in society. I mean, there's a lot of heterosexual things that are done that our, our grandparents would be, you know, repulsed by. It wasn't natural that it came that way. Society is an environment, started indulging it. So it's a push-pull. You know, but people didn't want to hear that then. Now it's incontrovertibly clear we were 100% right on that. Again, no one's trying to tell people how to live their lives. It's the left that's doing that. We're the ones who's, who's live and let live. But if you're going to say that this is a marriage, that's a problem. Because then that means that an adoption agency, you have to put equal footing to putting a kid to two men versus a mother and a father. There is no sane person who could say that that is on an equal playing field good for the kid. Again, putting aside any, any sense of morality, that makes no sense. No sense whatsoever. If we attempt to get on God's side, he gives us opportunities. But you have to have a fixed movement that, first of all, immovably believes in things and is constantly building support and building strategies to take advantage of unique opportunities that inevitably come to do it. And that's why we need people to say no. It's for two reasons. Number one, practically, if a bunch of people would say no to things, it would actually fall apart. That's how rebellions work. And number two, to ensure that a dissenting view is kept alive from which that little flame just takes a tiny bit of fire. You could eventually light a bonfire, a brush fire from that. May God bless our efforts if we try to remain on his side and never give up.
on our views and what's right. Till tomorrow, God bless y'all, and thank you for listening.